So, thank you, Don. Wasn't that beautiful? Um, our vision and mission as a church, our vision is to be near and like Jesus. And our mission is to make disciples, to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. One time I was talking to a guy at Believers. He said, Gal, the whole disciple thing, I'm not going to do it. I was like, okay, well, I appreciate it. I was like, why? He says, because I can't do all that stuff. And when I was like, what do you mean? Well, all I do is I go out and serve people and take care of their stuff at their house. And I'm present when they're difficult. I said, I'm like, what do you think discipleship is, man? I I don't do half of that. (laughs) And so, so what we want to continue to put in front of us is what we just jet Stubbs is one of our elders. And he, he calls himself, I'm, I'm some of them. Where does he get that? He gets that from Acts 11. Did you know the first Gentile church was planted in Antioch in Acts 11? And you know who planted it? Some of them. That's as much recognition as the, the New Testament gives to the some of them that planted the church in Antioch that was responsible ultimately for us knowing the gospel. Jet is living as a some of them. And then Joe, who, by the way, donates all of his time at the shop, are there in the presence of Jesus. We also got Phil Collins out there with the guys. And you know what happens? Here's the men's ministry and discipleship that's happening at Jet's shop. My 22-year-old son comes home and he says, yeah, I was just hanging out with Jet and the guys at the shop. He's, he's, he's coming show up and be discipled at an auto shop, an ugly little auto shop, as Don called it. Um, And God's doing this profound stuff. We can do the stuff that Jesus has given us to do. You can make disciples, and you're perhaps the only person who can in your sphere of influence. He has you there right now at the right time because you're the perfect person for it. Isn't that cool? Yay, Jesus. Okay, so... Today, we're going to continue a series we started a little while ago, um, as in one week ago. (laughs) Have you ever noticed where, like, I just noticed I'm, like, hyper-distractible right now. Is anybody, like, help me, Lord. Um, About Scripture, how to study the Scripture. One of the things I wanted to, I was going to talk about our mission and vision anyway before this, is this idea of, you know, we're, our culture, our world is in such a confusing place right now. Has anybody noticed this? Have you, anybody noticed there's a lot going on? And, and have you, has anybody noticed that so, so, it feels like um, everyone's kind of shouting something at you and that says, which side are you on? Right? Has anybody felt that way? <laughs> Maybe you don't have a job like mine. <laughs> Which side are you on? And here's what I'm recognizing, and others smarter than me are pointing this out. What is happening happening globally and nationally is of such a complex nature, none of us knows what's going on. If you want to read a good book that comments on this, it's called A Non-Anxious Presence by Mark Sayers. Who he, he, that this, is like, this is a kind of thing that only happens about every 500 years. It was last time was probably when the printing press happened 500 years ago. It changed everything. And there are other things going on in the world. And and the bottom line is this, guys. 
just getting the right opinions about each and every issue is not even close to adequate to know how to navigate what's going on in the world right now. But here's what I love about this. In these moments when things are confusing, we can get really simple. We follow the king who made everything. He knows what he's doing. All hail King Jesus. You know why I hail King Jesus? Because I don't know how to live. I don't know what to think or what to do. There's so much going on. There's so much going on. And so we with joy get to humble ourselves and say, King Jesus, show me how to live. Show me what to do. And that's what we were doing in this series of how do I know it's true. Um, and, and that scripture is our top way of doing this. And so what we're trying to do is to help equip you to be able to look at scripture and hear what Jesus is saying and to do it. Does that make sense? To hear what Jesus is saying in scripture and to do it. Our job, I don't believe, is to tell you what to think. It's to equip you how to think. There's a difference. Because otherwise it just becomes whoever is the more attractive talking head. Which someone told me today that I was a fairly attractive person on a video they saw. I appreciate that. I, I, I'm taking that because at 50 I need anything I can scrape up. I really appreciated that. So we're going to talk, we talked about scripture last week. We talked about what is it. We're going to talk for a couple of weeks of how do we interpret it? Why should we read it? And then how do we engage with it? How do we make it part of our lives? So last week we talked about what is the Bible. We said it was unique written words, one of a kind words that are written, that are inspired by God. Somehow God oversaw, influenced this process that human authors were able to communicate to us what God wanted us to know. And what's so powerful about that is God knows how much we need to know and what we don't need to know. You ever wish the Bible would answer more questions? Oh, well, God's not worried. It's like, I'm giving you what you need. And it's to lead us to Jesus. The Bible is a relational document. One way some theologians have said it is, yes, we're people of a book, but actually we're people of a person. We're people of a person. His name is Jesus, to which this book leads us. Okay, so what we're going to talk about today is how to interpret the Bible. Now, um, here'd be a question. Why do I even have to interpret the Bible? Isn't it obvious what it says? And in some cases, yes. There's some statements like I read it in Psalm 106 today. God is king over all. Okay. I think I know what that means. I think. It seems fairly obvious. But have you, has anyone noticed some things in the Bible that might not be quite as clear as that? Who here loves Leviticus like I do? I'm telling you, I love the book of Leviticus. I've fallen in love with the book. I'm absolutely serious. But it's because I've had years to figure out how do you interpret this stuff and make sense of it. One of my favorite passages, not really, but it is, is Leviticus 13, 1 through 3, which is instructions on what to do with a scabby sore. It's in the Bible. What do you do with that? Why is it there? <laughs> like, this is like, seems like really bad medical advice, you know, is what it seems like. I would never go to my pastor when I have a scabby sore, but it says go to the priest. Why would I? 
Why do we have to interpret the Bible? Well, there's reasons. And I want to talk about in a relational context. So I'm going to tell you a little story. By the way, this sermon is one of those that I like. I'm not sure how good this is, but I'm already this far in. We're just going to finish it. <laughs> about 11 o'clock last night, I was like, well, this is what's going in the oven. So, <laughs> so we can all just move on if it's not so good. That's all right. So imagine there's these two guys in the sanctuary here today on the left. And there's a conversation. And this guy says to the other one, I am the coolest person in this room. And this guy just takes off. (laughs) Now this girl, she heard this conversation go. She's like, what is happening? And so the easiest way for her to know what did that guy mean when he said, I'm the coolest person in this room, would be for her to say, what do you mean? Right? But that doesn't always happen, does it? it it's not always possible. So if she didn't, wasn't able to ask him, what do you mean? She would try to start to use some context to try to figure out, what does that guy actually mean? One would be, what's the story? In other words, what just happened? I just saw this guy who's, he's, he kind of looks like he's wearing chinos, in a collared shirt, doesn't it? I, I don't know. And, and, and he tells this other guy, he's the coolest person in the room, and the guy takes off running. What is that all about? Like, what's the bigger story here? Do those guys have a relationship? Do they, I don't know, do they work here? Um, here's another question. Do these guys know that in language, that the word cool can mean more than one thing? Like, does he mean he's temperature coolest? Or he's the most attractive and accomplished person in this room. And the guy was so stunned by that, he just had to run. (laughs) It's possible. And actually, when she's starting to think about it, she has a, a brother who's really annoying. And who is very likely to say something dumb like that just to annoy her. So that, well, maybe he did just say that. So I'll think about it a little bit more. Well, hold on. What's the genre of the language? What Was he being factual? Or was he being sarcastic? You know what I mean? Was he, was he making a joke? Because that's like a different genre of language, right? Or maybe he was being poetic. <laughs> he was reciting poetry. I don't, you never know. I will say most likely for that, Tim Cameron has memorized more things than anybody I've ever met. And he just will, bam, blow a whole poem out. He's like, yeah, that was a poem written in 1865. Like, wow, I, that's impressive. True story. Another one, what's, what's, what's going on in the world? What's going on in history? Or out, oh, that's right, the PGA's in town. And this, this guy looks like someone who'd go to a PGA, right? Maybe he's a golfer. Maybe he does think he's superior. And he does say, I'm the coolest guy in the room. And the other guy just out of fear ran away. I don't know. Another question is, is a culture. Culture has to do with the customs of a people group. What seems normal to that people group? What, what seems like the way it would customarily behave? And so a question would be, is, well, is it normal to just walk up to people and say, I am the most attractive and accomplished person in this room? Away from me. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, or, or, or is it, yeah, you say, that's kind of weird. I don't know. That doesn't seem very likely. 
So all this kind of stuff goes on in any communication situation. A, a, a couple weeks ago, I was out at my brother-in-law's. He's got a lake house, and I was out there with uh, my buddy Mike Eddins. And it was a great moment. We're like two old guys sitting in chairs watching other people work. It was fantastic. And so there's a, there's a guy over there. He was mowing the lawn, but he's like so angry. He's like yelling at himself. So we just sat and told the story of what that guy's doing because a guy before him who was younger than him had gone already to mow it. And we figured, oh, this guy's the boss. He's like seeing all the things the other guy missed. You know, and for all I know, the guy was praying in tongues the whole time. He wasn't mad, right? I mean, we didn't actually know. But, but the bottom line is we were trying to interpret the situation. And so the question is, how does she ultimately discover what he meant? There's two factors in every communication thing. That's, this is super, super important. There's one thing called the author's intent. In other words, the guy who's talking, the one who's creating the communication is the author. And so the question is, what, what was the intended message to the original audience? What did he intend to say to that guy? But then there's another thing we call significance, which is what it means to me, the listener. Which of these two things, author's intent or significance, defines what the guy meant? Charlie Steele says, author's intent. Who agrees with Charlie Steele? This is so fascinating to me. Yeah, guys, it has to be author's intent. Has to be. Now, significance happens. You're always going to have significance from what somebody says. But here's how serious it is that you have to allow the author who utters the words to, to define what they mean. Otherwise, we all lose our ability to communicate anything to anyone, anytime. Our ability to have intent when we say language is, is the same thing as saying, I have a free will. And if we can't do that, if the author's intent isn't the priority, then we literally cannot communicate. This is so important. I feel good that Anthony Elliott's doing this because he counsels many couples. Okay, whether you're married or you have a significant friend, have you ever been in the situation where you're like, I didn't mean to say that? Anyone had that? Has anyone talked? Has anyone ever talked? See, the, believe it or not, in academic circles, there are those that would say, once you utter something, the meaning is all up to whoever hears it. There's actually a book called, Is There a Text in This, in this Classroom? And it, it's, it's, it's kind of this postmodern critique that, that really whatever I experience is what is actually true. Now, you may have a, an experience that's very real, but it's not actually true. Right? So this girl could have been like, that guy is such a jerk. And that's a very real emotion. And it might be tied to her own personal context of her annoying brother who often says things just to annoy her. But the actual truth was something else. See, um, the guy comes back and he says, it will get warmer in here soon. <laughs> See, this is an actual situation because 
I know if in a room I'm cold, I got to tell somebody because someone's going to like be a meat locker soon because I'm hot all the time. I'm always too warm. And so I'll usually, if it's really cold, I'll say, Stephen, we got we to gotta warm it up in here because there's going to be people not being able to move their, their extraneous limbs, limbs here, you know. So it's, it's when we, often when we learn more context enough that we can actually go, oh, I see what's going on here. Make sense? Okay. So this is what we call by interpretation. Interpretation is this act of, of somebody has an idea, wants to get that out of their head to somebody else. And, and using context, to what we're trying to get to is what did the author intend to say to the original audience? Now, there will be significance to us. There will be things that like, oh, that's really significant to me. That makes me think of this. That's very legitimate. But it has to be driven by what the author's intent was. Okay. Then you get communication. And this is what we do with the Bible. The Bible has at least 66 books written by authors who were a different audience than you and I were. Very, very different. How many of you guys have ever been to a closing on a house? Okay. Did you know that if in Abraham's time you would have been at that closing in a house, instead of signing everything in blue ink over and over again, you would have simply put your hand under the thigh of the person in front of you who owns it. And they would have put their hand under your thigh. I'm serious. It's in the Bible. You said, I sell you my property. I buy your property. And that's enough. You look at, It's in the Bible. You know, I mean, it's like we're doing contracts all wrong around here. Culturally, that's literally what they did in that time. But it's important for us to know, oh, wait, from that author who's writing that audience, that he knew they would understand that. He didn't explain why they do the thigh touching. You know, it's a contract, you know. Um, there's a different history of what was going on in the world at the time. Is, there's, there's different language. Does everybody know the Bible was not written in English? I still remember kind of a despairing moment I had in a theology class where I felt so bad for my professor he was talking about different translations of the, the Bible. He was talking about Greek and Hebrew and stuff. And this guy got so mad. He said, listen, if the King James is good enough for Peter and Paul, it's good enough for me. And I, I, I sat there thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not the teacher right now. Because <laughs> this is unfortunate. It was written in Greek and Hebrew and some Aramaic. And so, anyway... So how do we interpret the Bible if there's this, such a different culture, such a different way of thinking and doing, and it's translated from a different language? Uh, what I'm going to do is just simply take you through one passage of Scripture and then just walk you step by step through how you could do this. Now, I, I recognize that, that this, is, this is like a quick drive-by. <laughs> um, and so we, we occasionally will do classes on this. Maybe we'll do one in the fall. I don't know. Um, but this is the whole uh, kind of idea of saying, how do I 
really interpret the text. And you'll notice this is part, when we talk about reason, experience, scripture, and tradition, this is involving that reason piece, okay, of using our brains. Next week, John Free is going to teach us about how do we engage our experience and our heart posture in interpreting the text, because you have to have both, okay? Heart and head are both important in this. If Jesus didn't want, eat, didn't want both of them, he'd leave us without one of them, right? We just walk around headless, <laughs> which is awkward and, you know, it's good for nightmares, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So 1 Corinthians 8.13 in the NIV says this, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. What does this mean? Is this an argument for veganism? (laughs) The the one vegan in the room said yes. (laughs) Hey, listen, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I know I'd probably be healthier if I were doing it. What does this mean? If what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so I will not cause them to fall. What the heck is that? Does anyone ever seen this on like the tear-offs on your calendar? You know, in the Bible verse to encourage you throughout the day. Amen. Bless you. It's in a, it's, it's in a plaque over at Martell's. You know, that'd be awesome. I've often said, man, there's a, they're they're real selective about the scriptures they use at those gift shops, aren't they? Okay. So, let's, what's the story going on? What just happened? So we read a sentence there, but what just happened? Here's a way of looking. That was, we looked at verse 13. Let's look back at verse 4. The writer says, so then about eating food sacrificed to idols. Oh, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and there's no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. That, that helps a little bit, doesn't it? You know, what is, he ta- what is, what is this guy talking about? So then we want to know, okay, but what's the larger story? So if if we, well, well, the larger story is this. Genesis to Revelation. We got a whole arc of a story. I'm telling you, here's the thing. You have to interpret the scripture in the arc of the whole story. You have to. You have to. 
Because you're going to mess some things up. You're going to misunderstand things. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 3.18. I think I put it, I think it's 8.13. Yeah, it's 8.13. Got a little dyslexic there. Um, it's right about there. So we just read like from four, you know, verse 4 to 13 there. And so then if we look at the whole book of 1 Corinthians, we could say that Paul wrote it to a church in a town called Corinth. And one of the things he's doing is he brought the gospel to them. But they're, they're having all these bizarre issues that he's having to address. They're doing really good in speaking in tongues and gifts of the Spirit. But they're also not so great with sexual immorality. Like one guy's sleeping with his mom-in-law. True story. It's in the Bible. And other thing is they're having these, their conscience problems with food sacrifice to idols. So that gives us a context to know, oh, Paul's having to address a specific issue at a specific church at a specific time. Then if we pan out the further the New Testament, we see that like in Acts, this is one of the, the, the churches that Paul planted. He, he, he wrote letters to lots of them, 13 in fact. And really only in one of the other letters do we see him talking about food sacrifice to idols. It's in Romans, I want to say 12 or 13 or 14, somewhere around there. And, and, and so we kind of know, okay, I guess in Rome and in Corinth, maybe in that place around there, they, there are a lot of idolatry going on. Food somehow would be presented to them, but you could still eat it. And, and, and the, the thing that's interesting, then if we back out to the whole story of the Old Testament, which we said it was this, unique, the whole story, unique written words inspired by God to lead us to Jesus. Okay, back in the Old Testament, we had a bunch of stuff about idolatry, right? Remember that? So God was speaking to his own people, Israel, saying, don't worship idols, worship me. But, oh, this makes sense. The people in Corinth had no background from the Jewish history. Like, why would they even think about doing idols? You know, well, odds are, if Corinth and Rome had people sacrificing food to idols, and Paul had to say, oh, we only worship one God. Then these guys are like, well, that means there's another God. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that, but they're getting freaked out by it. We see in this whole context that we're no longer under the law from the Old Testament. Jesus is the culmination of the law. But walking in freedom in Jesus needs some specific application. Does that make sense? Like, so this, this helps another, to interpret another passage, Galatians 5. Walk by the Spirit and you won't be... You won't be addressing the things of the flesh, right? But that doesn't mean that it's a free-for-all for whatever you feel the Spirit's saying. How do I know that? Because Paul's having to address a specific cultural issue to say this is what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. Okay, so that's the context. That's a bigger story, but we're still not there yet. So language, what, what does that word mean? Is, the, is there any language in here that's confusing or might be misleading? Any, it doesn't have to be, but... Anybody see anything that's bothering you there? To fall. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. What did, what did, what did, what did Paul mean here by causes them to fall? So what we could do is just write that down and back into it. Let's say, does he, maybe in, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, he talks about that. Earlier in the passage, he talked about stumble. He said damage weaker conscience. So that'd be something for us to look at a little bit. What's the genre? In other words, it, so has anyone ever seen uh, the, I, I can't remember which psalm it is, but it says, why Mount Hermon, are you jealous of Mount Zion? Have you read that? 
Did anyone feel tempted to believe the Bible says mountains have emotions? Right? Because if you take, if you don't recognize, oh, this is, this is poetry. The Psalms are poems and songs. They're using poetic language to say, oh, Mount Zion's the best place. The, 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 the mountains don't have emotions. They're not actually having these feelings right now. So that might be kind of cool. And there's three at least different kinds of genres. We've got narrative, where it's stories. We've got poetry, and we've got prose discourse, where it's just prose that's not poetic, that's doing something. Uh, like, uh, no, poetry is apocalyptic. If you want to check something out, BibleProject.com has videos. It's called How to Interpret the Bible, How to Read the Bible. And these guys, you could, within one hour, watch the videos on that and have a good handle on each of these uh, genres of literature. Their stuff is so good, guys. They've done a really good job. But in this case, it's prose discourse. It's a letter that Paul wrote. And why does that help me? Well, it helps me to know that, okay, this is a letter he's writing from a group of people, or to a group of people between him and them. So what's happening? This is the equivalent of me listening to a cell phone conversation. Just standing there. Does that make sense? And I'm only here Paul talk about it. So I got to know there's something going on over here. And then it might be specific to their time and place that may or may not apply to me. I'll have to look and see. Does that make sense? I'll, I'll just ask you straight up. How many of you guys are eating food sacrifice to idols? I need to know right now. Uh, you did once? Bam, Shane, okay. You stole the orange from a shrine? He said, I was a heathen, leave me alone. That's just so cool at so many levels. I, I just don't even know what to say. Okay. I, I, <laughs> you're here all week. Okay. Oh, man. Another question would be, what's going on in, in history, in their world that time? Apparently idolatry. Apparently that's a pretty normal thing going on because it, it's the same with their culture. What's considered normal? Apparently, if you look further, you could end up at someone's house that doesn't follow Jesus, but you do. And a Roman said, you could have a question. You could sit in there going, I don't know if this food was sacrificed to an idol or not. So do I eat it? What do I do? It's a really important question. How do I apply the gospel in this particular situation? So this is just a little... So here's the thing. What, what was Paul's intended message to his original audience? And what I'm going to do is just show you how I saw it. Um, because I'm right. <laughs> this is the fun thing. The more empowered you get, the more we can dialogue about these things. Isn't that good? So to me, if we look back to the words he said, here's the, here's the original passage, but the prior context, there's a really important sentence in there. He said, be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. I, I, think, I, think, I think from the context, from panning out on it, that, that I think what, what Paul's trying to say is the issue is not so much just food sacrifice to idols, is it, how am I going to affect my brother? And, and so, so that to me is, 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 the, is the meaning of the passage. The meaning of the passage is that the exercise of your rights does not, should not become a stumbling block to the weak. That's what Paul meant to his original audience. But I get to ask also, well then how, what does that mean to me? 
How does that gain feet in my world? How does that hit me? Now, have you noticed it's the last question I'm asking? Have you ever been in Bible study where you're like, let me start with what it means to me? We all have. Has anyone ever said this? I read scripture. I didn't get anything out of it. Do you realize that's fairly irrelevant? There is meaning there that God's communicating. Whether I feel good about it or not at the day is actually irrelevant. Now, it's wonderful that most everything we get to pull in and have significance for us. But I just don't see scabby sores getting there. I might not. Did you know that in some cultures... In some cultures, the most uh, exciting and, man, this must be really true, portions of the Bible are the lists of names. Why? Because they're in, they're, they're in cultures that remember their family tree. Right? We don't do that. Right? I don't know people too much past my great-grandparents. And for them, the ancestry is a big deal in their culture because they know it way back and they know, oh yeah, you he Jesus was in the line of David. I see this. Because we come with our assumptions too, right? So there is meaning and power and beauty everywhere in the text. If we're not getting something, it's not the text that's wrong. That makes sense? It's not dumb Bible doesn't work. This thing doesn't work. (laughs) So what does it mean to me? I would say this. Significance for me, I will volunteer. If I'm going to obey the words of the scriptures here, I will probably need to voluntarily give up some of my freedoms if they cause my brothers and sisters in Jesus to stumble. So you see that? So you could say, well, that sentence didn't mean all that much. Actually, it's packed with meaning. Actually, we could have just read that through COVID the whole time and done a lot better. Right? I'll just give up some of my rights, some of my freedoms. Yeah, the rights and freedoms are absolutely true. But what if that's going to damage somebody else the way you're exercising it? We sin against Jesus when we do that. Okay. So, how to interpret the Bible, that's one of the ways we do it. And the two things I would like you to walk away from for this teaching today is the author's intent. What did the author mean to say to his audience? And you're like, is that really true? That is the way you live your life, I promise you. Just your next disagreement. Think if what I intended to say mattered at all in this conversation. And I guarantee you, you're going to be fighting for what you intended to say. Even if you fully didn't intend to say that. <laughs> I've been there. If you've been in a conversation with somebody, this is my wife. I'm like halfway through the argument, realize, oh, I'm completely wrong. I'm too far in. We're just going to do this. <laughs> We're just going to keep this thing. I just want to win. <laughs> I do that a lot less than I used to. I'm 27 years married. And so the energy is not worth what I put my wife through. Um, because there are consequences. Yes. <laughs> do you want to do something? Why would I want to do something? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Move along. It's going to have consequences right now. <laughs> so we're going after the author's intent. And then context, context, context. What's the story around it? 
Back it up. Back it up a little bit. You, one thing you'll see on the Bible Project, it's so cool. Did you know Gideon putting a fleece out is not about how to pray for God's will? It's actually the author showing how distrustful of God Gideon was. And then after that, God said, how about I put some fleeces out for you? Too many guys. Cut it. Less guys. Too many, too many guys. Do you really trust me? It's a fascinating story. Just watch it in Bible Project. It, it pans you out. We're misusing that text. It's not the greatest thing to say. I'm just going to put a fleece out. It's not really what's happening. It's like, oh, Gideon not trusting God. He's freaking standing in front of him and won't believe him. Woo! And, and this is one last sentence. Do unto Scripture as you would have others do unto you. Can we respect the Scripture enough that we'd let, allow it to talk to us the way we would want other people to let us talk to them? To, use, to, to respect the intention. I, listen, I talk for a living. I come home saying the dumbest things that I didn't intend to say. On a regular basis. It's just like my odds are higher because I use more words. But, but I'm counting on the person I'm talking to. Will you cut me the slack of I'm going to mess up. My intent is to say. And can we do that with the words of Scripture, please? To, to respect it enough to say, you know what? I don't understand that and I don't like it. Maybe you don't really understand it just yet. It's a posture. John's going to talk about it next week, but the posture I've found I've taken, if when I don't understand something, I just withhold judgment. Why? Because I know God well enough to know He's smarter than me. He loves me. He's good. He has my best intentions. So I'm not going to judge this because I'm maybe not as smart as He is. I don't know the author's intent quite yet. Make sense? All right. Okay. So, what do we do from here? Try this. Try this. I'll put the slides up, but if you think of author's intent and context, take a passage of scripture you're wondering about and just try it. See what happens. Explore the context to find the author's intent. And here's a couple of really good resources. Bible.com, that website, and it's also the YouVersion app. Here's what's really significant about both of those. Especially YouVersion. For all the different translations of the Bible, they have all the study notes. So you see those like little letters that seem annoying? They're super helpful. Like, so if there's a word you don't understand, sometimes you'll see a little letter you can press on. And it, the New English translation has the best translation notes of any of the translations out there. It'll be more than you possibly want. You'll see about every four words, a little number next to it. But it's just really, really helpful. And you can get that for free. Just download YouVersion um, app. Another one is Bible Project and also the Bible Project uh, app. Bible Project videos, super helpful. They have an app that is so good. It's, it's a version of, it's got multiple versions of the scripture, but then it has actual journeys you can follow through. There's one called, you know, you can explore the arc of a whole story. So you can see where the idea of the Holy Spirit goes throughout the whole scripture. You can see how the ideas developed and start to develop skill. Here's the funny thing. You know, I, when I got married, um, I thought all we got to do is get married. We're good. This is going to be bliss forever. Yeah, yeah. Even people who aren't married are laughing at me. Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, it's just like so dumb. Um, and I'm like, this shouldn't have to require any work to make this relationship work. <laughs> what? 
Relationships take work. The Bible should just be obvious. and he, Most of it is. Most of it is. But there's some, some things we're not sure on. This, these kind of tools really help us. Does that make sense? Okay, let's stand together. Oh, one thing I want to do, if you ever have a question about any of this stuff, whatever it is, go to share it. We'd love to talk about it. It helps us steer what we teach on. I forget. Okay, great. So I'm going to pray this prayer over us. We talked about last week of, could it be that for us, the scriptures are perhaps... Like, remember that, that Roman bust that the, the lady bought at Goodwill for $35 and turned out it was this priceless artifact that there's only like a few of them in the world. Now it's in a museum. She didn't know what she had. Could it be that Jesus is just waiting to meet with us? I had somebody who t- sent me a text that was really encouraging last week that said, Guile, thank you for that message because up to this point, I don't know why, but I thought I, I couldn't figure out the Bible. It was over my head. And I'd forgotten it was this invitation to be with Jesus. She said, I'm bursting to be with Jesus. And I got to tell you guys, I mean, I've, the last couple of days I've just struggled with some dumb stuff. I don't know why I'm struggling. And you know what I, I got to do is pull out a psalm, Psalm 103, and it says, Oh, he doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. As far as the east is from the west, he forgives my failures. As a father has compassion on his children, so God has compassion on those who fear him. That he's going to visit his compassion. My kids have been out of the country, and, and I've been like praying for them because I'm nervous. But he's saying he's visiting his love on the generations after me. I'm saying, oh God, is that true? I'm nervous. Oh, because my emotions are telling me crazy things, right? But this, i got to meet Jesus through his word. So Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your help wherever each of us is at. Thank you. Thank you that the Bible is evidence that you're in love with us. That you don't want us to have to guess as to what you're like. You don't want us to have to guess as to what you think of us. You don't want us to have to guess as to what a fruitful, flourishing life looks like. You've actually described it. So will you help us? Help me with my distractions, Lord. Help me with the, the false things I've believed about your words that is just going to push me around or be boring or, or whatever. Instead of the, the chance to meet with the God who loves me and wants to talk to me. You help each of us, Lord. Will you, will you pull down strongholds that, that are built on lies and instead replace it with your truth through your scriptures this week? We thank you for that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week, guys.